Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Let's talk about New Year's resolutions, specifically reading resolutions. I'm your prepared host, J.S. Garrity. And I'm the host who's winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every week I choose and prepare a topic because I'm a researcher and a planner. And I find out the topic uh, half an hour before because I'm an improviser and usually good on my feet. All right, let's get into it. Uh, All right. First of all... I apologize for my voice. Um, for those who listened to our fandom episode, the second half of that, um, that was recorded separately. This is the same day that we're recording this episode. So my voice is shot um, for who knows what reason. I don't. I didn't feel sick, so I don't know what's going on. But anyway... Just an apology for that. (laughs) So New Year's resolutions, a lot of people like to make resolutions for reading, maybe a number of books they want to read in a year or how often they want to read. Um, There's all kinds of ways to do it, but it's a very popular New Year's resolution to make. And we're going to kind of explore why that is. Um, I think, so I recently did a bipolar support group and this is like, Hey, this is how you live with being bipolar. And one of the things a couple of us mentioned is like, if we mess up something during the day that we want to do every day, we're like, well, we messed it up. Got to start it tomorrow. I think that's a fairly normal thing. It's just much more, um, regimented when you're bipolar. Um, and I think that that new year's resolutions are kind of that thing. Well, I messed this year up. I'll just start it in the new year. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And uh, so new year's resolutions can be a really good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to point out that if uh, your new year's resolution is making you feel guilty or has made you feel guilty every year, if you've fallen off the wagon for something, yeah, Mm. not good. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to mess it up and not be consistent for a while while you're learning that, uh, while you're learning those habits. So, you know, just keep getting up and and doing it again, even if you miss a few days or a week or two or three. Yeah, I completely agree. There's a lot of resources out there for goal setting and how to set goals in a way that um, increases your Mm -hmm. success rate. And one of those is, you know, creating bite-sized goals. Um, You can have a a larger goal, but then you split it up into steps and focus on one step at a time. And it's a lot more likely that you'll be successful doing it that way. So if your goal was to read 100 books in a year, then you'd want to break that down into, you know, how how many hours of like how much time every day that you want to spend reading or how much time a week that you want to spend reading and just focus on that goal. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's true with any, you know, any resolution that you make. It needs to be split up into bite-sized goals that you, yeah. well, you know, I, readdress throughout the year. Yeah, it, it, but it's the same with any habit you're trying to build. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm not necessarily worried about, you know, my New Year's resolution and doing this brand new thing. Say it's whatever, whatever it happens to be for anybody. You know, I'm going to go ahead and start practicing it now. So mm-hmm. this year, one of my the things I wanted to do this year was to to lose weight because um, I was flying past 260 pounds on my way to 300, and it was bad. I hurt constantly. It was it was really really getting ugly. Well, I didn't do it as a New Year's resolution. I started it a couple months later, um, but it's worked out pretty well so far. So we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, especially with something like. Um, weight loss or if you have a specific quantifiable goal yeah like read this many books lose this many pounds um i don't necessarily personally recommend having goals that with numbers like that yeah because it doesn't leave much room for adjustment along the way yeah and it's a lot better to make a goal um with something that you can control yeah like I want to exercise three yeah. times a week yeah. or I want to make sure I have a serving of vegetables with every single meal. Yeah. Things like that are a lot more in your control and will make you feel a lot better about yourself yeah. than if your goal is a number that's on yeah. scale. I, I would agree. Like I have a number, I have a couple numbers in mind, um, you know, for specific goalposts, but really the thing that I'm most focused on are the habits. And now I'm trying to add in new habits of actually like doing some physical therapy and doing Tai Chi and yoga or one of the other every single day. Um, you know, that one has been a little hit or miss as you know, as life goes on, but I, I've did, I'm doing a pretty good job with it. So I'm fairly happy. So turning that into something about reading, I think, is a really good idea, Mm -hmm. especially for somebody who thinks, well, you know, I just haven't read as much as I want to. Hey, here's the way to do it. Yeah. And if you're really set on a number, like you really just want to read 100 books, my recommendation would be to not put a time limit on it in that case to just, you know, have that as a goal and you'll feel really great when you're finished, yeah. but you don't have to do it within a year. Yeah. It can, you can take two years, three years on it. Yeah. Um, life happens, shit happens, and you don't want to completely derail everything yeah. if something happens and gets in the way. Um, because it, it, that's just how it works. Yeah. There has to be some wiggle room and flexibility. And it's not even necessarily all the time like, hey, you know, something happened. I didn't make it. It's how you feel about it. Once again, mm-hmm. you know, the real story isn't what happens. It's how people or characters feel about it. Same thing in the yeah. real world. The mm-hmm. thing that happens isn't necessarily what's going to hurt you. It's how you feel about it. If you feel guilty about it, that's probably not going to be a great motivator. There's a good chance where it's going to get worse. You're going to feel even more guilty. And over time, it's just going to, it's going to slide until you have no habit whatsoever. But if you're like, yep, had a bad day, dropped it, whatever, had a bad week, mm-hmm. I'm getting back, I'm, I'm getting going again, then, you know, that can be a lot healthier. So, yeah. and, and even in those crazy, 
you know, if you're having a crazy couple of weeks where you're like, oh, I can't, I absolutely just can't read. If you can squeeze out 10 or 15 minutes a day, it's going to help keep you a lot more in the habit than not doing it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, why even make a habit of reading? What's the point? What are the benefits? What if you don't even like reading? Yeah. Why? I, why make a habit of? It? I don't know how to answer that. I literally have no idea how to answer that. I've been had, I've had a, my nose in a book since I was five, like constant. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, well, I did some research, a little bit of research oh, on this. Shock. So I, <laughs> of course, <laughs> but you know, it, it's it was the same for me. I I grew up you know, staying up till 2 a.m. reading by the bathroom light so I wouldn't wake up my sister who I shared a room with. Um, and and so the idea of not wanting to read all the time is a little bit foreign to me. But I've also, as I've grown up, you know, starting in college when I was, you know, 18 and 19, um, had a lot less time mm-hmm. for reading. And that does kind of throw off the habit a little bit. Yeah. And so getting back into the habit as an adult and, you know, making time for that reading, um, especially when there's a lot of distractions like Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that, that's kind of where I'm at. So I I do understand a little bit um, of not being in the habit anymore. But I do have some benefits to go over for reading that's beyond just being entertained. Um, One of them is that it reduces stress. And, you know, the only way for you to really get on board with that is to test it out and try it. If you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, see what happens if you take a break and read something that you find enjoyable yeah and what happens to your stress you can even make a little study of it and record your stress level on a scale of one to ten before you read and then do the same thing after you read and kind of define for yourself what each number is on that scale and what it looks like um and just just see how it affects you and what it does in your body and in your mind and if it makes a difference. And and if you're one of those people who's like, oh, I hate reading novels or I hate reading just these big walls of text or something and they're fairly fi- uh, visual, I'm going to go ahead and give you permission to run with um, uh, graphic novels and the like as well. There's some mm-hmm. amazing stories out there. Um, and when we get into recommendations, I'll jump into a couple of those. But, you know, I don't see that there's anything wrong with spending time reading some comics um and and when they get bundled into trades or just straight graphic novels that were intended as a graphic novel from the very beginning yeah run with it enjoy it Mm -hmm. and i'm a big believer in that in the idea that there is something to read for everyone yeah that any everyone can find something that works for them yes um and, you know, even if it's, you know, an, a magazine, a fashion magazine, if that's what helps you relax, if that's yeah. what you want to spend your time reading, then that's awesome. Yeah. There's not one way that's better than another way. Um, except I, I would 
caution against making the news your de-stressor reading. Yeah. Because the news tends to stress us out more. <laughs> yeah. So if stress yeah. is your issue, maybe not the news. I, I've i read someplace that like constantly learning things, constantly learning new things is really good for you. So, you know, mm-hmm. those fashion magazines or any kind of like uh, outdoor magazines or, or something along those lines, especially the ones that actually teach you things, mm-hmm. would be really a great choice too. So, yeah, you know, anything, anything that does that would would be good for your brain over over decades mm-hmm. so yeah and if you really hate the like f- the actual act of reading audiobooks have mm-hmm. a lot of the same benefits yeah and and podcasts even if that's something that helps you de-stress as well there's a lot of options out there yeah yeah not that we know anything about podcasts um we're learning <laughs> we're learning everybody you know, thank yeah. you for your patience. We're getting there. Um, yep. Okay. So more benefits. So stress reduction, good for the yeah. brain. Yeah. It strengthens the brain. Yeah. Um, it also prevents, they believe it prevents cognitive decline. Mm-hmm. There's even been some studies that possibly suggest, they can't say for sure yet, but possibly suggest that it can help prevent things like Alzheimer's Mm. Um, and maybe not prevent it entirely, but maybe increase the time uh, that you have or make the symptoms not quite as extreme at first. Yeah. Um, And anybody who's listening to that is like, really? Listen, I would say it's absolutely worth it. And anything you can do to increase your quality of life um, and – the amount of time you have good quality of life, either of either and or would be a really, really good call. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because um, you're keeping, you know, you're keeping those pathways in the brain going. Yeah, yeah. It's exercise. It's it's work for your brain. Yeah. Um, there this article that I found on Healthline says that it can lengthen your lifespan. I'd be really interested to see the studies. I I didn't have time to go deeper into that. Um, But that's one benefit that I'd be interested in looking deeper into. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that. That's that's an interesting one that I don't know that I necessarily would have thought. But then again, if it if it slows down or halts um, cognitive uh, degrade degradation you know um then yeah i could kind of see it helping there too so mm-hmm. yeah you know if your brain is still healthy you have a, a better shot at living a longer life right the the source that that study came from was PubMed central which is a respected database from the national institutes of health and it was a study that followed 3,635 adult participants for 12 years um, after retirement, Mm -hmm. I believe. And they found that those who read books survived around two years longer than those who didn't. Yeah, I had read something about retirement one time that basically said at that point, you really start like your body starts falling apart, your brain starts falling Mm -hmm. apart, and not being active is one of the biggest problems 
um, mm-hmm. that retirees run into. So, you know, if you can get that, get out there and walk every day and read every day, you're probably going to be, uh, you're probably going to be ahead of the bell curve in a good way. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, another benefit is that it can alleviate depression and this is probably very connected to the reduction of stress. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's not going to be a magic bullet, right? It's not going to cure your depression. It doesn't replace therapy. It doesn't replace medication. And it doesn't have to be self-help books either that you're reading to alleviate depression. But it does take your mind somewhere new. And that is a really good thing when you're depressed. If you can't get out of the house and you can't get those benefits of the sunshine or interacting with people then at least make your brain believe you're getting that by reading a book if you recall from a previous episode reading um in your brain is the same as if you were actually doing the things that you're reading about yeah your brain thinks you're actually there so if you can't get out of the house yeah if you can't do those things for real then you can experience them in your head and reap some of those benefits. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me, you know. Um, you know, just seeing other things, experiencing new things is is mm-hmm. always good. Well, as long as it's not super, super stressful. So Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a British philosopher, Sir Roger Scruton, wrote consolation from imaginary things is not imaginary consolation so the the good feelings and the um the catharsis and the consolation that you get when you read something uh, a made-up story fiction it's not imaginary those feelings they're very real yeah they're happening in your brain yeah yeah totally makes sense um and, you know, if you could have a good cathartic release, that's always good for you. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, nice. Okay, makes sense. Well, the other thing that it does, and we've touched on this a little bit in past episodes, um, but it reading increases empathy. Yeah. Because you're stepping into perspectives and backgrounds that are different from your own. Yeah. I I mean, you know, we've talked about that a couple of times in the past. You're right. So, um, yeah, you know, you get exposed to new worlds, new people, new ideas. And that's that definitely helps you understand um, the people around you a bit, a bit better. Um, and that understanding can lead to much more empathy. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a yeah. good one. And I may have that backward. Maybe it's empathy that increases understanding. I don't know. Um, I don't study this. It might go both ways. Yeah. It really might. Yeah. Um, I I always think of Brené Brown when I think about empathy. And empathy occurs when you get in the trenches with a person. Yep. You're not looking from above and saying, try this, maybe do this, or, oh, you know, it could be worse. Yeah. Like one example Brené Brown gives is, you know, someone who's had a miscarriage and someone says to them, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. And that doesn't really help. No. Um, it's not really a consolation to no. say that. Um, 
I had an experience where I sh- shared that our rent was increased by $500 a month um, after the housing market went insane. And somebody was like, well, at least it didn't raise $700. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> are they, what they, their exact wording was that you're lucky it didn't raise $700. And I was like, I wouldn't call myself lucky. And it's not because I'm a pessimist. It's just a matter of, of simple empathy. And you don't need someone else to tell you what your silver linings are. Yeah. It doesn't work Especially that way. because they go off base so often. It's like, mm-hmm. just shut up. I mean, just leave it alone. Don't, yeah. don't talk about it. Just show empathy. Mm-hmm. And so what a book can do that we've talked about before where you get to experience what the protagonist is experiencing and your brain believes that you're in that situation. And so you're having, you know, old, the ultimate empathy for this main character. I mean, there's a great fiction out there that can make people empathize with a horrible villain. Yeah. And they can do that because it literally puts you in their shoes and in their perspective. Yeah. And practicing doing that with a book, it, it it's more than practice. Your brain's actually doing it. So the more you do it, the more your brain will start doing it in real life with real people where you, you say, oh, I can, I can feel the emotions that you're feeling right now. Yeah. And and anybody out there who thinks maybe that you know you sh- we should never have empathy for like a you know a terrible person or, or something along those lines, I kind of agree because we do still have to be able to punish. The thing is, we also need to understand where that stuff comes from, so that we can avoid it, so that we can stop it before mm-hmm. it becomes you know actual dangerous or criminal activity. So the, and there are ways to do that. And we know there are ways to do that. It's just for some reason our society has decided that we're just not gonna, for the most part. There's there's exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um. Another benefit of reading regularly is building vocabulary. Mm. And I know that there's a lot of controversy. Controversy on this the idea that you don't need to build vocabulary and you you don't you don't need to and you don't need to use fancy highfalutin words all the time or even at all um but building the actual act of building a vocabulary is very good for your brain yeah it has you know its own set of benefits Again, I think I've said this before, but my one of my favorite quotes from Eisenhower after uh, D-Day, after World War II, maybe it was after World War II in general, but he was specifically talking about D-Day. He goes, when it came to D-Day, and I'm paraphrasing here, so anybody who knows the actual thing, just relax. It's going to be okay. <laughs> um, he basically said, you know, when it came to D-Day, all the plans that they made were just worthless, but the planning was invaluable. So, you know, even if you don't use those new words, the the act of learning them is going to be really good for you. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you keep some of them and you use some of them, oftentimes you'll find that the way you express yourself or the way you show yourself to the world is much how the world is going to treat you. 
So if you want to yeah. be taken more seriously, you have to speak. In some cases, you just have to speak more seriously. Um, mm-hmm. You have to you have to be able to show people that you are indeed uh, capable of commanding your own emotions and being able to express them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one benefit of building a vocabulary is how it influences job opportunities Mm -hmm. and testing and college admissions, Mm -hmm. all of those things. Employers want employees who can communicate effectively. Um, And starting, you know, this starts with young children, with babies, reading to your babies, you know, board books, children's books that starts building the, the, excuse me, that starts building their vocabulary. Yeah from the get-go and that does make a difference in their futures and and as they get older um there's that stephen king quote i believe where he says uh if you want your kids to be smart have them uh read them read to them every day if you want your kids to be brilliant have them read to you every day so Mm -hmm. you know at some point you kind of want to start changing that a little bit and running with it um Mm -hmm. because it's going to be really really good for their brains yeah um and regarding the new year's resolutions if you have kids a really great resolution could be that you read them a a story a picture book every night before bed Mm -hmm. or you know if that seems like an overwhelming goal you can do you know every saturday night you read them a book and then build up from there as it becomes a habit um and and just doing that will put your kid in a much better position yeah. in school and in future jobs. Um, and as when, they, when they're learning to read, as they're learning to read, um, they don't have to only read the, like, the chapter books that are at their level. My son can read chapter books, and he does do some of that. But I also let him read the picture books, and read to his sister mm-hmm. the picture the picture books and he enjoys doing that and it it not only makes him enjoy reading more because he can read something that's easier and he can follow the story a bit better um and he likes you know those books they're you know fond to him mm-hmm. sentimental and everything um but it, it also s- still has those benefits mm-hmm. he doesn't have to be reading the challenging stuff that is increasing his reading skills in order to get those benefits yeah. of a vocabulary yeah. and exercising his brain yeah. in and, that way. And developing confidence in reading out loud or, or discussing mm-hmm. things. Cause I, I imagine a lot of that can, can move over into public speaking or, you know, even if it isn't public speaking, it's just an interview with your boss or, you know, some things along those lines, it's really, really going to help out. So Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything, you know, training or practice doesn't have to look like training or practice. You know, it could be all kinds of different things. Exactly. Um, It's similar to the idea of, you know, joyful movement versus exercise, Mm -hmm. finding something that you actually enjoy doing Mm -hmm. and you're much more likely to make a habit of doing it versus forcing yourself to exercise in a way that you hate. you're just, it's not going to be lasting. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with books. If you are 
challenging yourself in to, to the point where it feels like you're reading every day is a chore, then, you know, you, you can reassess at that point yeah. because you don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to do that to get the benefits of it. Yeah. You can read whatever you enjoy. Yeah. Um, I still go really back matter. and reread like middle grade stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and I love it. You know, some of it I absolutely adore. So yeah. Yeah. I, and, and it gets me thinking about things in a slightly different way sometimes too, which is really an interesting effect that I don't always expect. Yeah. There's some middle grade stuff that has this depth that can really bring you something even as an adult Yeah, and rereading things that you know you love and that you've read before absolutely has benefits just as much as reading something new or almost as much um but you can still learn new things from rereading the same material you might even learn higher level things than what you learned the first time through so yeah rereading things that you love over and over again still has those benefits of of increasing your vocabulary and strengthening your mind and all that good stuff. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. Um, I have one more benefit to talk about and that is that reading aids sleep. So it can, help prepare you for sleep if you include reading as a regular nighttime routine. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, that can backfire sometimes if it's a page turner Mm -hmm. and you can't put it down and you stay up really late reading. Um, But the reading a print book usually is better than reading on a screen before you go to bed. Um, But reading before bed can help you... um, According to doctors at the Mayo Clinic, if you tend to have trouble falling to sleep at night, yeah, the routine helps your brain to shut down and, and cue your brain that it's time for sleep. Um, it also gives your brain the chance to disconnect from the stressors of the day. Um, if you're one of those people who lays in bed at night with the millions of thoughts going through your head and you can't get them to quiet down, reading can absolutely help yeah. with that. Again, not a silver bullet. Yeah. When I'm going to bed is about the only time I have a chance to read for fun. Most of my other reading Mm -hmm. is, you know, um, either school related or research related. Like, hey, I need to understand Mm -hmm. this topic. Let me get a book on outdoor survival or something, you know, so Mm -hmm. or whatever. So, yeah, you know, plus books on writing and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're one of those people who struggles with not being able to put it down, you can set a timer. Yeah. And I know it's not ideal because the timer might go off when you're in the middle of a chapter or a paragraph. Um, But if you, you know, make a hard rule when the timer goes off, I've got to put it down and that might help. Um, If, if that doesn't work for you, it doesn't mean you have no willpower. It's, (laughs) It's that thing that books do where they really make us feel like we're living it and our our minds reward curiosity um, and that there's a dopamine 
a and, kick when you follow your curiosities. And ultimately, that kind of self-discipline is built over time. So, yeah, you know, yeah. if you're brand new to something like that, don't sweat it. You know, just roll with it as best yep. you can. I actually, um, I have to take some medication to help me sleep. It's just one of the lives of, of those yeah. things. So my timer is technically whether, it is typically whether or not I feel I'm going to wake up in a few hours. Um, without my CPAP machine or something. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I always take my, uh, my sleeping aid before I start reading yeah. so that when I start, you know, the medicine kicks in and I can feel myself slipping away. Yeah. Then that's sort of my cue. Like now I can go to sleep. Um, but if you set an alarm, what the alarm can do is, take your brain out of the story mm-hmm. for just a moment mm-hmm. and allow you to possibly put it down. Um, Cause that's really hard to stop when you're in the story. You don't even realize yeah. time is passing. That makes a lot of sense. I've never, I've never tried that. Um, I mean, not specifically, although I've used like the Pomodoro technique for certain things for studying or writing or whatever. And that helps mm-hmm. pull me out for a little bit to, to be able to make sure I'm taking care of myself. But, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So using that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, especially if you're a neurodivergent person, um, alarms can be your best friend and really help you, you know, stay on a schedule or help your brain just to kind of reset and get out of a, a groove or, um, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. Alarms can be really helpful. Yeah. And it I don't have any like research or, or anything official to back me up on the alarm thing for reading at night. It's just based on my own experience with using alarms for various things. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have alarms every day that remind me to eat because I forget to eat. And I know some people might hear that and be like, How do you forget to eat? Like, aren't don't you get hungry? But for someone neurodiverse, it can be very easy mm. to forget to eat. Um, yeah, and my husband uses alarms as well uh, for things. So just based on my own experience, yeah. it's something I think can be worth trying if you are worried about losing sleep because you're sucked into a book. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good list. Um we had talked about doing recommendations. Yeah. Um, if you need recommendations of books for your book list, then keep listening. If you already have a list a mile long and you really don't need more right now, then you can just turn it off right here. <laughs> <laughs> we would prefer you listen to the end, but it's totally up to you. <laughs> <laughs> I understand when that feeling of, no, don't tell me about another good book yeah. because you have too many already. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you want to start, John, with one? Uh, yes. Um, the Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. Uh, debut mm-hmm. novel um, by a, uh, um, a woman of color. Um, and it is a Southern Gothic cosmic horror um biracial girl power novel that was phenomenal um 
a friend of mine read it and she was like, I didn't really get into it until the very last paragraph of the, the first chapter. And then she was like, then I was hooked. It was amazing. <laughs> um, and it was just one character smiling at another, but the way she wrote it was really pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, love it. Uh, she's got a new book out right now. It is not in the same series. She was going to write a, uh, a follow-up novel and was like, you know, writing about a, uh, a plague in the pandemic world is, uh, is a little awful. So mm-hmm. she decided mm-hmm. not to, and she wrote something else instead. I would also highly suggest that one to check it out. I have not read it yet, so I can't give you a direct recommendation. If it's mm-hmm. half as good as The Year of the Witching, I think it's going to be pretty great. I'm sure it's actually even better. Um, you know, some authors, when you get their sophomore novel, you're like, what in the world happened? And other times you're like, wow, they really matured. I think Miss Henderson is going to be a, wow, she got so much better. Like she learned so much doing the <coughs> first one. Yeah. I'm, I'm making a list of the books that we mentioned. Okay. So they will be in the show notes nice. for those of you who might be worried about vigorously writing things down. Um, you can just check the show notes for that. Um, what I'd like to recommend, uh, All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. Uh, she's a fantasy sci-fi novelist and All the Birds in the Sky is both fantasy and sci-fi. Nice. It's very interesting. And it's it's very much a mix of both. It doesn't necessarily lean more heavily onto one rather than the other. Yeah. Um, it might There might be a little bit of science fiction fantasy going on. Um, but yeah, it, definitely both elements. Um, and it's got the most hilarious sense of humor nice but it still made me cry at the end so it's it pokes fun at itself and at the genre a little bit um and if you enjoy that kind of humor then you'll very much enjoy it but it also still keeps a a story that you're seriously invested in okay and i found it very enjoyable to read Um, I'm going to kind of cheat on this because one kind of leads into the other for me. Um, Mm -hmm. Many years ago, I got a copy of uh, The Eyes of the Dragon by Stephen King. Um, Or Eyes of the Dragon, I believe, not The Eyes. Pardon. Um, Christmas Eve, and I read the entire thing overnight uh, before Christmas morning. Oh, wow. And um, there is a scene that was so tense that I gripped the book so hard Years later, you could still see the indentations from my thumbs. Oh my gosh. Um, When Stephen King decides to write a fairy tale style book, it's pretty amazing. Um, And that's what this was. Now, that brings us forward to his newest release at this point in time. um, And that is Fairy Tale. I am about halfway through it and I love it. It's so incredible. It is a a secret world fantasy that mm. it just, I don't know, it just makes sense. There's a lot of salty language, even more than in, um, in some of his early work. So mm. there were points when I was like, okay, don't know that I needed that. Still worth <laughs> it. Absolutely worth it. 
Um, I will switch genres a little bit here um, because I also read a lot of contemporary Mm -hmm. um, upmarket Mm -hmm. and women's fiction. Um, And I recently read all three of Sally Rooney's books. Um, I watched the Hulu series of Conversations with Friends Mm -hmm. and decided I wanted to read the book. Um, So I read it and I read Normal People and um, Where Are You, Beautiful World. And I enjoyed all three of them. Uh, There's elements of romance, but I wouldn't necessarily categorize them as romances because it doesn't have the happily ever after in the same way mm-hmm. um, that a romance might. Breaks that convention a little bit. Um, but if you are, if you love a book that is very psychological and really digs deep into humans' insecurities and um, all of those things that go on in your head that cause issues in relationships and in the real world, then these books nice. really dive deep into that and explore that. Yeah. Um, and I find it fascinating. Yeah. I think everybody should dip into contemporary fiction sometimes, even if you're a genre fiction fanatic, just to see kind of what, mm-hmm. what's out there. Cause some of it, some of it is actually shockingly good. I mean, there's some amazing yeah. stuff out there. There's a lot of garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I'm sure a lot of contemporary readers are going to say the same thing about genre fiction, and they would be right. There's mm-hmm. a lot of junk out there, but whatever. Mm-hmm. It's still it's still my favorite genre. Um, yep. I'm going to go into a horror blend, since you mentioned kind of a romance. It's uh, Nora Roberts' uh, trilogy, The Sevens. Um, it is a trilogy that follows three different couples and they get together one at a time at the same time they this these six people are having to figure out how to fight or destroy a demon presence demonic presence of some sort um it is one of the best horrors i think i've ever read um and there were a couple of points where the first time i read it i was like okay that's freaking me out Got to close the windows. Got to close the shades because mm. I'm done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Um, Nora Roberts definitely proved to me why she's worth, I don't know, $400 million or something at this point, I think. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Pretty great stuff. All right. This one is might be one that a lot of fantasy fans have already read, um, but it's one of my favorite books of all time. Um, and that's Neil Gaiman's The Ocean at the End of the mm-hmm. Lane. I, uh, it made me feel all the feelings. Yeah. <laughs> just crying and nostalgia and yeah. just so much um, of those feelings yeah. that I really want to get out of a book. Yeah. You know, Neil Gaiman, I'm, I'm telling you, the, the thing that I think about Neil is like, even though his endings are never really like big surprises, he doesn't do twists and turns for the most part. You can usually you can see them coming most of the time. That's OK, because he gets us there in such a beautifully emotional way. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say that Ocean at the End of the Lane or whatever, I, I forget. I have read it, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> it's a book about coming home. 
And yeah. my next recommendation, the Graveyard Book, is a book about growing up and leaving home. So the two of those, I would say, um, they're not connected in any way, shape, or form other than that kind of theme. I would also suggest the Graveyard Book, hands down. Yeah, they're they're not necessarily connected mm-hmm. in content, but I... I feel like I associate them together yeah. a lot. And I feel like a lot of people associate yeah. them together because there's this sort of thematic thing that's going on yeah. um, that shows kind of two opposing, yeah. not opposing, but two sides of something. Yeah. And they're both so emotionally beautiful. Like you really get hit hard. So with both of them, I think. Yeah. That's, that's a good and, recommendation. Yeah. And if you enjoy um, graphic novels and comic books more than a traditional novel, um, Neil Gaiman is also a great author to look at for that. Um, I feel like that's such an obvious thing to say, but not everybody knows that uh, Neil Gaiman got his start in uh, either comics or graphic novels. I don't. I think it was graphic novels that he got his start in. Yeah, when um, when he started writing out fiction, everybody, this is that this in short stories are is is how he got rolling. Mm-hmm. And um yeah. His comics and stuff are, yeah. are really pretty wonderful things. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna back you I'm and gonna I, back JS on that completely. Uh, and I haven't read um the Sandman comics yet. They're on my list. But I did watch the series, and he did help with the series, and it was mm-hmm. really good. And you just see amazing things from this man's imagination. His imagination is awe-inspiring, um, otherworldly. It's incredible. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the world that he built for the Sandman yeah, I think that's one of the really big important things with him is he is able to construct these worlds to specifically get his his point across. Like whatever he's trying to do, mm-hmm. he's going to he's going to construct this amazing beautiful world around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would call him a master world builder. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, are there any other yeah. recommendations you want to throw yeah, out there? Yeah, I have three, actually. Um, they're all a little bit more adult. Um, okay. The first is ElfQuest. It's been around since the 70s. It's um, it, with big years-long or decade-long breaks here and there. Um, and I love mm-hmm. it still. I absolutely adore it. I started reading it when I was a kid, so maybe it's nostalgia. But I think it's it's absolutely beautiful. It's about a uh, a species that are the elves that um, are time traveling shapeshifters who come to Earth um, during the Middle Ages and somehow instead get thrown way back in time to where humanity are primal savage um, beings who are pretty awful. And so it's part of it's this war against humans and a bunch of other stuff going on. I think it's really pretty amazing. Um, the second one is Artesia, which is often referred to as a female Conan. Artesia is a 
Um, it takes place in kind of a mid or low fantasy world, and Artesia is a um, a mercenary leader or captain. Um, also, I think pretty amazing. Um, and the last one is Beasts of Burden. If ever you've wanted to read a story about dogs who protect people from supernatural threats, Beasts of Burden is is exactly where you're going to find that. That's awesome. Um, I think I might have recommended this before on our podcast. I can't remember. Um, but the Riddle Master of Head trilogy oh. is very good. Yeah. I really enjoyed that one. Um, and I am currently reading or listening to the Stormlight Archives mm-hmm. um, by Brandon Sanderson and thoroughly enjoying those. I Sometimes when I listen to it, I feel a little bit helpless because I'm like, I can never imagine myself getting to the point as an author where I can write that complex of of a plot and all of the subplots that weave together. I mean, it's, he's a brilliant man. Um, he's had a lot of practice. And I would also, too. So keep that in mind. Yeah, if you're a writer out there and you're true. like, I'll never be like Brandon Sanderson. Listen, Brandon wasn't Brandon until fairly recently. So don't sweat mm-hmm. it. Practice, practice, practice. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and another one of his that I would recommend is Elantris. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one that people don't talk about as much because it was just a one-off and he usually does series. Um, But I really enjoyed that one. I I have to be honest. I did not love Elantris, but a lot of people do. So I'm going to completely back that recommendation up. Check it out. It's not a long read. Um, It was his first published book. No, it is shorter. Yeah. It's also his first published book. Um, but, um, it was like his fifth book that he wrote, I think Mm -hmm. something like that, fifth or sixth, but yeah, it's, you know, a lot of people love it. I just happen to not be one of them. Mm Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you can look into these recommendations and maybe you'll hate some of the things that we love and that is okay. We all don't have to love the same things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, any last recommendations before we wrap things no, up? No, nothing from me. If any of you have re- recommendations for us or for other listeners, feel free to post a comment. Yes, please. Please do so. Uh, we would love to be able to start seeing what uh, what other people are thinking as well. Um, so that's our time for today. Happy New Year to you all. Yeah, definitely. Enjoy it. Um, Please spend time with loved ones and um, and go forward into the new year with a lot more hope and confidence than we have ended this year. We've been your hosts, J.S. Garrity. And Ludlow Adams. Thanks for tuning in and join us next week for a new topic about the world of fiction. This has been We're Lying, But That's Okay. Big thanks to our listeners for your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible.